our text here today is, is Psalm 85. I just wanted to give you a, a special word here, just kind of considering everything, you know, that we're, we've talked about here, just kind of the, the day that it is. Um, and so I thought I'd, I'll, I'll read a little bit more than I uh, act out as I do sometimes. Um, well, yeah, brothers and sisters, my beloved family, uh, there's more I would have said to you should I continue to pastor and shepherd you. Uh, I understood the primary responsibility that our Lord had placed on me and my role as an under-shepherd here, uh, that that responsibility was to feed the sheep. And so that's, uh, that's what I have labored to do, I have attempted to do for the past several years. Uh, however, the amount of what I might have fed you would only have been a reflection uh, to the length of time that we would have spent together. Uh, it would not have been a reflection of the quality of the food itself by which I fed. Honestly, the, uh, the content that you would have, uh, I would have fed you with uh, would not have changed. In a sense, uh, I'm not as creative as you might think. It simply would have been a repackaging of the same content and message every single week. Uh, that message is that God saves sinners. So as I go, I want to leave you uh, with a word in hopes that it might resound in your hearts, your souls, your minds, your strength every day going forward. Because God saves sinners, this is my urge. My final urge to you as your pastor is to turn to God and from your sin each and every day. I'll attempt to repackage this message into the tune of Psalm 85 for us today, and that will be my sermon. So, out of reverence for God's word, if you are able to, I'd ask that you would stand as we hear how the Lord has revealed himself to us specifically here in Psalm 85. To the choir master, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation. Put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that, you, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely, his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground, and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Turn to God and from sin each day. The sons of Korah wrote this psalm. Uh, not sure exactly what time it is uh, that they're writing, what point in history they're writing this, probably about the time that they lived, but uh, I'm not sure how important that is. There are some movements in history that they are recounting here that give us great confidence to understand our situation today and what we think of going forward. And so I've kind of repackaged the same message, God saves sinners. 
into three movements here. Uh, the first movement we have is in verses 1 through 4, and I call this movement the divide. As the Psalms are intended to do, Psalm 85 assures us that remembering God's unchanging character and His unwavering action in the past gives us great confidence to cry out for salvation and restoration today. So let's look. What has God done? If you just follow along here, top to bottom, God has favored the land. God has restored fortunes. God forgave iniquity. God covered sin. God withdrew wrath and God turned away anger. God did all of these things. Remembering God's unchanging character and unwavering action in the past gives us confidence to cry out. And that's exactly what the, what the sons of Korah are going to do here. Because the next three words that come in verse 4 are this. A plea to God, restore us again. Restore us. Take us back to whatever was there. Something beautiful happened. There is a way of being. There is, the land was good. The situation was great. There was something wonderful. Restore us to that, the sons of Korah teach us to, to sing out to God. Restore us to that. But even more than that, I, I want to see, this is a little bit of the history that's there. He uses another word, that third word, again. Restore us to that thing, but it's not restore us to the original uh, right here. It's, it's, uh, it, they're not uh, just saying, hey, go back that one time. We messed up, go back. He's saying this is something that's happened again and again and again. Restore us back again like you did before. They ask God to restore because they know that God is not simply a God who is favorable to land, who, who, uh, who restored fortunes, who forgave, who covered, who withdrew, who turned, but he's a God who specifically restores his people. And so they cry out to him to say, do that thing that you do. Restore us again. What is that thing they want restored to? We'll find out later on a word that comes up often is this word peace. In Hebrew, that word is shalom. It's that wholeness, that completeness. Well, I'll actually just read a definition here uh, that, that theologian, uh, philosopher, Cornelius Plantinga says. He says, in the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing. It means wholeness and delight. He says, it's a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied, natural gift, gifts fruitfully employed, it's a state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens the doors and welcomes in the creatures in whom he delights. Planning says, shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. That is what we are crying out for God to restore us to. Restore us to shalom, the way it was meant to be. As Plantinga continues to argue in his book, uh, the book's title is Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, which is, which is pretty fitting for his definition of shalom. He says, uh, not the way it's supposed to be. He says, there's been a breach in our covenant with the Lord. There has been a breach in shalom. There's been a breach in this relationship that we have with our God. If you go back, the first word in the psalm is Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It's not an accident, the typists or, or whatever, they're not just doing some stylized font here. This is the divine name of the Lord. Lord, the Lord of covenant, the Lord of relationship. This is Yahweh, Jehovah, Adonai, 
This is our Lord. And he draws into a relationship, covenantally so. And our sin breaches that covenant. It goes against what we've agreed to. I will be your God, you will be my people. And so the land needs restored. Our lives need restored. And it may not be always that, that your situation runs foul because of your sin, but more often than not, when you find that something's gone bad in a situation, there's always sin behind it. Restore us again. And so, we see that this breach in relationship that we have initiated has caused division. It's caused tension. It's caused hostility and separation. Our land seems to be unfavorable. Our fortunes seem to be quite unfortunate. And so we throw up our hands and we ask good questions. How long will you be angry with us, God? Are our kids going to live in this terribleness? He says that. Will you prolong your anger even to all generations? Will you not revive us again? Which acknowledges that we were alive at one time and something has gone wrong. We need life again. We want to have the joy from which we rejoice. Remembering God's unchanging character and unwavering action in the past gives us confidence to cry out for salvation and restoration. And so the divide is there and we cry out and we find out though that this is restored and it's restored by turning. So our second movement of this song is called The Turn. This is verses 8 and 9. Restoration comes from turning, or rather it comes from turnings. There are two specific turnings that happen in this text. You can find them here. The first that we come across as we read the passage is in verse 3. So look there, verse 3 says, you withdrew all your wrath, you turned from your hot anger. This is God's forgiveness, that, we, that he would turn his holy wrath from us sinners who deserve it that his anger would be turned to another, for our wages of sin is nothing short of steadfast covenantal love of the Lord. That's the only thing that will turn the anger of the Lord, is his love, is his desire for us, even in spite of our sin. But it's not just there. It's not just on God turning. It's not us waiting until God changes his mind. There's human initiative in this. We have responsibility of this turning as well, and the second turning we find is ours. In verse 8, we see, the Lord will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. This is human repentance. This, uh, it is evidenced by an actual change in directions. We are going to the way of sin and folly, and there is an actual turning, an about face to Christ. And in that turn, it's a change in the direction of our life because we see that our focus, that our goals, that our motives are all Jesus Christ. Charles Spurgeon, uh, one of the greatest preachers, he said it this way, uh, it is not that God needs turning from his anger so much as that we need turning from our sin. Our trials frequently arise out of our sins. They will not go till the sins go. 
As I've said uh, in another way, uh, the land will not flourish until we pull the weeds. Spurgeon says, conversion is the dawn of salvation. That is, our turning is the dawn of salvation. When sinners cease to rebel, the Lord ceases to be angry with them. And we know this to be true of the heart of God toward sinners. Ezekiel 33, God says, As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. And then it goes on to say, Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. There are two turnings. One is God in forgiveness and one is us in repentance. But this turning is not simply turning away from sin and folly. It's not like choosing something other than the bad stuff. It's an actual turning to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's here in the text, verse 8. It says, God the Lord will speak peace to his people. If I insert the Hebrew as I have before, he will speak shalom to his people. And he has spoken his flourishing, his whole, his delightful peace in the person, Jesus Christ. As we follow, as we continue reading through scriptures, we go, we'll stop by, uh, just reading right through. Psalm, we'll, we'll stop by, uh, the prophet Zechariah says it this way, pointing to Jesus Christ as our peace, the peace that is spoken of here in, uh, in Psalm 85. Zechariah 9, 9 and 10 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous, and having salvation is he humble and mounted on a donkey. There's a whole lot more that happens at Palm Sunday than just Jesus coming in to claim his throne. He's bringing with him peace. We know this because Zechariah 9, 10, the next verse says, I will cut off the chariot and the war horse and the battle bow, and he shall speak peace to the nations. Jesus Christ, our coming king, doesn't simply speak peace. He does that and more. He is our peace. Ephesians 2 says it this way. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He has made us both one, has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. There it is. There is a divide from our sin, and there is someone who surpasses that divide, who brings us near, who reaches beyond that divide, and that is Jesus Christ, our peace. Jesus is our peace. He is also the way back to how it ought to be. Jesus is rest. Jesus is the shalom we all desire. But he is only that to those who fear him, who turn from their sin and turn to God. So let's continue reading as we move into our third movement here, the glory. We have the divide, the turn, and now the glory. I'm going to get a running start at this. This is going to be uh, verses 9 through 13, but I'll, I'll start to read uh, in, uh, in verse 8. 
He says, let me hear what the Lord God, uh, God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Then he, could, I, I, he continues to say, surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land, that our situation, that our surroundings might be made not simply better or healed or patched, but glorious. This is that flourishing of shalom. The picture that's described to us here in verses 10 through 13 is one of glorious relationship restored. From withdrawing to drawing near, we see the wrath of God, uh, the wrath of God give way uh, in verse 3, to the nearness of salvation, verse 9. It's almost as though uh, Jesus Christ, our salvation, just edges out the wrath of God and said, go away, I'm going to be closer. As we read through verses 10 and 11, we see that from estrangement to fellowship, the steadfast love of God and faithfulness meet. They come together. We see in verse 11 that righteousness of Christ comes down as the faithfulness of each repentant sinner springs forth from the ground, and they meet. The glory of God dwelling in our land is only possible through our faithfulness to him and his righteousness to us. That's our role, repentance and faith. And Christ's righteousness then becomes ours. And, and this, the, this almost describes as, as a great flourishing, a yielding. Yes, the Lord will give what is good. Our land will yield its increase. And his righteousness, not our works, his righteousness will restore shalom. That's why it says, righteousness will go before him. Surely when we hear God's forgiving peace and turn from our sin, he will restore us. This is because the result of our turning is righteousness. That is not by our own merits, but is from, heaven, uh, but, but is from the heavens through faith alone in Christ alone. Only this righteousness that results from the turning of our hearts and the forgiveness of God has the power to cross the divide and restore our estranged relationship that we might dwell together forever in peace. Now, dwelling in the presence of God now and forevermore, our land will yield its increase, marked by flourishing, wholeness, and delight. Dwelling with God is, in fact, the way things ought to be. So, turn to God and from sin each day. So, remember... Restoration comes from turning, not only in God's forgiving, uh, forgiveness in turning from his anger, but also in our repentance in turning from our folly. It's both and. Remember, uh, as we think of restoration, as we think of renewal, a year of renewal starts with repentance. Restoration and renewal are not things that God owes us but rather they're consistent actions that God has, does, and will make towards those who honestly confess their sins. They follow repentance. Remember that restoration 
is not simply a distant, academic, one-time, overarching, all-of-history movement from hostility to shalom. It's not this big exercise that Christians have and say, oh, somewhere out there, we're in this redemptive story. That is true, but that's not all it is. It's very uh, imminent. It's very active. It's very urgent for us. Turning is for us now. It's for, uh, it's for the immediate next season that we're embarking on. What sins do I need to take care of before I move into the next season? Do I harbor bitterness? Do I harbor anger? Do I harbor uh, 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 lies or, or wrongs that I've done? We need to come clean always before God and one another. If we ever hope to step into something that is restorative and renewing. But even more, it's urgent for us today. And it, uh, as, as Plantinga uh, describes it, I love this description. It says, turning from our sin, because of our, our, our waywardness, because of our, our proneness to wander away from the way of God, because of that, he says, uh, dealing with our sin, confession, is like taking out the garbage. Once is not enough. We keep filling the trash can, even though we come here. That's why we do this every single week. We confess our sins every week because we got to take the garbage out every week. One day, we won't. One day, we won't have that confession of sin. And that is when we will be truly and purely worshiping together in the presence of God. And that will be a sweet, sweet day. And so as I leave you, I'll leave you with, uh, with words that Jesus leaves his disciples. Because I could say whatever I want and be sentimental and emotional, but I think I could give you something much better, and that's Jesus Christ. And what he says to his people is this. In John 14, he says, These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all these things and bring you to remembrance all that I have said to you. And then he says this. He says, Peace. I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives it, to you, uh, gives it do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And isn't it so sweet that when we have the peace of God dwelling in us, that it expels all fear? Let's pray. God, we thank you that you use the word turn a woeful amount of time in the scripture because we bring sin a woeful amount of time to our lives. Thank you for being a God who is gracious enough not to say enough be gone with you, but you extend an offer for us to turn. Thank you. And thank you that when we do turn, you make it a real thing, not just, a, not just a, a, a defeating, yeah, you win, God, but an acknowledgement that you have, in fact, defeated sin once for all. And so that when we do turn, you truly can forgive us. You truly can restore a relationship with us. You can truly give us Christ's righteousness, though we don't deserve it. So many of these things we don't understand. You do something far beyond what we can comprehend when we say, I'm sorry. Because you are always steadfastly saying, I love you. Thank you for this. And thank you for leading us in the way forward. Thank you for giving us 
your peace.